Welcome to Life on the Illinois Prairie. Your host is Wendy Fleming Dexter, and after 30 years living in small town Illinois, she has stories to tell. Past cornfields and factories, into the heart of Amish country. There's more here than what meets the eye, far beyond what you think you know. So buckle up and stay tuned. This is Life on the Illinois Prairie. Hi, welcome to Life on the Illinois Prairie. I'm Wendy Fleming Dexter, and joining us from quite a long distance is Wilmer Otto. Wilmer was on my very first episode, and he's joining us today from, uh, you want to say where you're giving this interview from today, Wilmer? I'm calling in from Romania today. We're in Transylvania section of Romania, and that is the area where Vlad the Impaler, later known as Dracula, was born. His house is a few blocks from where I'm sitting. Well, we tried to uh, get this recorded when you were still in Arcola, but that didn't work out. So you were gracious enough to let me have some time when you're overseas at one of your hotels. And we've come back today to revisit the Hostetter family gathering that happened in late July in Arthur, Illinois. And um, would you like to talk a little bit about anything that you may have learned or ex- uh, share some of the experience of having to, it was extremely hot that weekend and you guys had to uh, rearrange some of your plans. So if you'd like to talk a little bit about that and and how the backup plan worked out for you. Well, it was an adventure. The, <laughs> to recap, the Jacob Hostetler family goes back to Jacob Hostetler from the era of about 1710 to 1775. And as a young man, he immigrated from Switzerland with his wife and three children and came to Pennsylvania right outside uh, Reading, Pennsylvania, and established a home. And in 1755, their cabin was attacked by Indians. And so he and two of his sons were taken captive by the Indians His two sons were raised until they were late teens. He escaped after a year and a half or so. But all his descendants now get together every five years, and that includes the descendants of the two boys that were raised by the Indians. So uh, lots of oral tradition has been handed down about their escapades and escaping from their Indian captors. Uh, And it was great to have people here from 34 states, California to Maine, and Arthur, Illinois, celebrating uh, the life of Jacob Hostetler. It was quite a large crowd. I was surprised that when you moved it to the Arthur Christian School, it pretty well filled up that auditorium, didn't it? It certainly did. Uh, We had about 320 registered guests, as nearly as we can tell. We had initially had planned to have it at the Friday evening opening session in the uh, Illinois Amish Heritage Center campus in this historic barn that we just built last year and last fall. But um, we had the tables and chairs and everything set up in the hay bale for a lovely dinner and a program. And uh, someone pointed out that at 94 degrees there were likely to be elderly people that could not easily handle that kind of heat. And for Mm -hmm. safety reasons, we should just move it to an air-conditioned venue. And so that's why we ended up with the Arthur 
Christian school and uh, had a very nice program there. You did indeed have a nice program there. We we were not able to attend any of the Saturday events, but the uh, Friday night events, the uh, reenactment of the family gathering, that was very poignant. And the one of my favorite things is always the singing that was done that night and how everyone was able to sing along. And I, I know that probably touched a lot of people to have that opportunity. Well, it's... Uh, it was based on a, a historical event in terms of the night before the cabin was attacked with his family. He had had a, uh, they called it frolic in eastern Pennsylvania, where young people gather after work and after dinner and uh, do something useful. And there they were paring apples and cutting them into pieces for dried apple uh, snacks. And uh we had a local Amish woman who was bold enough to write a script in which she uh, tried to suggest what these kids might have been talking about while they were slicing those apples, not knowing that a few hours later the cabin would be under attack. Mm. And so they were speculating about an attack that had happened on another cabin a few miles away a few weeks before, in which uh, the family was killed. And uh, they were saying, should we defend ourselves or should we not? With the Amish belief in pacifism, they believe that it is better to uh, not defend oneself, even if it costs you your life, than to strike out and harm someone who is trying to do harm to you. And so this debate goes on, you know, during the, the play. And at some point, the leader or at least the person with the lead role says, well, we know what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Do good to those who do evil to you. Turn the other cheek when someone strikes you. And that was how the play ended. And of course, mm -hmm. as it happened then, uh, the, a few hours later, in about one or two o'clock in the morning, the cabin was attacked. And Jacob Hostetler's two sons, who were early teenagers then, uh, said, you know, we have hunting rifles, Dad. Uh, let's defend ourselves." And their father said, we can't do that. That's not what we were taught to do. We should turn the other cheek. And uh, so that is what happened. And they hid in the basement under the house. The Indians set the house on fire. Thinking everyone was destroyed, they left. The family crawled out from a basement through a small window, and one Indian had stayed behind and saw them, so he called the others back. And so mm -hmm. that's why they took the father and two of his sons captive, and um, they eventually, after several years, made their way back to the Lancaster area and lived to have large descent numbers of descendants. So... Um, that was the background story. But one of the things that was very touching was uh, the Indians commonly would take captives and raise them in the Indian culture. And a lot of the people who lived in their culture really grew to like it. There was not the kind of um, stresses and other modern life kind of incidences. When the Indians went hunting, they brought back, everything was shared with the village. There was very little sense of private ownership. 
And so the other captives that had been taken over uh, that summer uh, were brought together at one point after negotiations with the Indians and were supposed to be released. And one mother was there to collect her children who were very young uh, when they were taken captive. And they had been taken, been captive, you know, for four or five, maybe eight years. Didn't recognize any of her children because they were adults now, or at least teenagers. And um, she was ready to give up because she didn't think her children were amongst them. And the father, the a British soldier who was kind of in charge of this attempt to reunite families, suggested to the mother, well, maybe if you sing a song, somebody will remember that song from the time when they were still at home and not part of the Indian culture. So she sang. And instantly, daughter ran to her and said, I remember that song, Mother. So that was a song we sang during our program that evening at the Arthur Christian School. And yeah, there were a lot of um, emotional responses to that story. I'm sure. It was emotional to, to us. It was emotional to me, and I'm not a part of the family, just the, in an empathetic way. It really it gets to your spirit to realize that a family, that a, father, a person had the strength of his convictions to stand by and let what happened happened and stand true to his convictions. That says a lot. Um, now moving to the um, Illinois Amish Heritage Center, You've, we've mentioned that, and I, that's a place I know close to your heart, very dear to your heart, and, and so many others. Um, you have a big event coming up the uh, fifth and is it the fifth and sixth or sixth and seventh? Maybe all three days. Now you have another event coming, right? Yes, we have the Fall Harvest to Home event, October fifth uh, and sixth. Are those are correct dates? I'm just checking the calendar. I uh, don't want to mislead anyone. Uh, yes, it's the 6th and 7th, Friday night, the 6th and Saturday. Well, it's Friday all day, the 6th, and Saturday all day, the 7th. But Thursday night, the 5th, there is a big dinner that the local, well, actually, it's uh, probably the State Farm Credit Association, which is a lender that does a lot of lending to farmers, a lot of the Amish farms and other farmers are offering a free dinner to the public. Uh, hopefully, they will come and learn more about farm credit services. Uh, huh. but yes, that will uh, start at 5. And so that's a big event that will be kind of the opening of the following day's uh, farming demonstrations and so on from Harvest to Home schedule. I had no idea that that Amish would use that. I remember my dad used farm credit service, and I know that's been around for a long, long time, but I had no idea that the Amish would use that. Yeah, uh, they do. As a real estate broker, I've handled a number of transactions where farm credit services were the lender to the Amish, and yet generally farm credit is a little bit lower interest rate than the banks and the other institutions are. Uh, and they specialize in farmland, which uh, the banks, you know, generally have a more broad portfolio. So uh, that makes them very good partners with the Amish who like to buy farms and, you know, make place for their kids to uh, have a homestead someday. 
Well, I'm sure they're very reputable to deal with. I mean, you know, they're very honest and above board. 99% of the time, there's a bad apple everywhere, but I'm sure that most of the time they're a, an entity that farm credit would want to deal with. What kind of events are coming up? I, I know that I love to go to all of your events, but that this one is the big one. And you've had, unfortunately, to cancel these things a couple of times in the past years due to excess rain, which is not a problem this year, <laughs> unfortunately. I know we need the rain desperately, but please don't have it come on that weekend, right? They're right, absolutely. A lot of work and preparation has gone into this year's event. Uh, they are going to be demonstrating corn shocking, basically cutting the mature corn binding into bundles and then stacking the bundles in a in a uh, stack that's called a corn shock. Uh, so they have the antique equipment that does that, which they actually have been out and tested it and have some st shocks standing out there now. But if you come on Friday and Saturday, you'll see how those machines work and how they make the corn shocks. Uh, the purpose is to let the corn dry a little longer and then during the winter, uh, particularly after the ground is frozen, they go back out with their wagons and uh, load the shocks up and take them into the farmyard where there's what they call a corn shredder. Basically, uh, chops up the stalks into small pieces that can become bedding or even uh, roughage for the farm animals. And the corn ear is uh, separated and chopped into grain that can be added to their feed mixtures for the animals. So uh, all of that practice was discontinued mostly shortly after World War II, but you still have these old machines, 70 and 80 years old or older, that uh, they work and they'll be demonstrating that. They'll have a steam engine there running an antique corn sheller. Uh, that's always a powerful sight to see this big machine mostly silently chugging along, turning the equipment. Once in a while, they'll uh, give out a whistle or uh, <laughs> release excess steam and so on, but uh, people enjoy watching that machine work. Uh, other things like horseshoeing, metalworking with iron, blacksmithing, uh, other craft items, you know, apple butter making, apple cider making, and even ice cream making with a little miniature steam engine turning the ice cream freezer. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it's, it will be a family-friendly event. There will be a petting zoo for the kids, which uh, the kids get to jump in the enclosure with the puppies and play with the puppies as well as uh, baby sheep. Um, they'll have a variety of interesting animals there that kids can encounter safely. Uh, just a good family event and lots of good food. Oh, that's the truth. That's the truth. Um, and it's a wonderful opportunity for people who would not ordinarily have an opportunity to interact with Amish people that kind of see them as a as an oddity or don't you know don't get a chance to know them. It's a wonderful opportunity to see them in a natural environment and someplace where they are where they they feel at home. And they're comfortable, and they're like, the, the, the Amish people I've met, they're more than happy. If someone has a question, they're more than happy to explain something or to say, though, that's not exactly true. And 
um, they like ex- um, enlightening people to their lifestyle. If, if that's correct, I believe. Wendy, those are such important points. I'm really delighted that you brought that out because we do have people, you know, that are skeptical and say, well, you're just exploiting the Amish and making money off of them. We're not exploiting them. It's a 501c3 corporation that's a not-for-profit corporation. More than half of our volunteers are Amish themselves who want this to continue and to succeed. And they like the fact that we are doing an authentic job of conveying their culture and their history and giving people uh, an authentic opportunity to encounter them, visit with them, uh, ask anything they want to, and so forth. Uh, but yeah, that's that's an important point that you've made, Wendy, is that the Amish are our biggest volunteers. They really want this mm. to continue and to succeed. Right. Well, you know, uh, and people have the opportunity, if you're lucky enough to be in the Schrock home and encounter Owen Schrock, who can until he was born in that home, if I'm not mistaken, you know, you there are people that give the guided tours, I'm assuming would be maybe there that day too. There's just so much to see and and to have witnessed when those homes were moved in 2016 to what you have accomplished, what everyone has accomplished on that campus is amazing to me. Well, it has been uh, a wonderful ride from 2016 to the present. You know, I uh, am chairman of the board, and so there's a a fear, a certain anxiety, we'll say, that uh, will we continue to receive donations that will allow us to complete the campus now with a museum building that really kind of ties everything together with museum exhibits that will be in this building. That's our next big project. We're raising money for that now. Uh, But we've gotten some very generous donations. you know, two donations of $250,000, one Amish gentleman that donated 150000 And so wow. it's been very heartening to see the broad community support, uh, both from individuals, from businesses, and even foundations, uh, such as the Arthur Community Foundation. And so, uh, yeah, it's, it's step by step from 2016, we've gone from two pretty derelict-looking houses to a pretty interesting campus. Mm. Yeah, those those uh, videos came up in my Facebook memories just a few days back when those when those buildings were first drawn by the by horses to start with by draft horses, and um, I to see now you have the you have the two homes who have been wonderfully restored. And every time we go, I'm just in awe of what you've done. And, and the details that have gone into finding the, the pigmentation of the paints and keeping everything as authentic as, as can be. And then, then the wonderful barn, the, the, the re, reassembling of the barn from the original parts and adding in the new and the melding of the old and the new, um, the schoolhouse, the, works, the workshop, it's, it's, it's an incredible place. I urge everybody to go to go for that weekend. It's wonderful how um, the the organic kind of process uh, emerges. You know, uh, others would say, "Well, let's have a business plan," which we did have a business plan when we started. But let's plan out, you know, what our campus will look like and where all the buildings will be, what we will get, and so forth. 
Uh, and those are valuable steps that I won't uh, denigrate. But uh, we keep getting, you know, like the barn. We've, we heard, well, there's this old barn and the gentleman that owns it uh, really wants something to happen to it because it's in his way and he doesn't use it anymore. And uh, if nobody takes it, he's going to burn it. So we went, you know, looked at it and realized it's uh, actually the oldest barn built by the Amish in 1878 that's still standing. And secondly, it's very much in its original condition. They had not modified it for more modern kind of usages. And so uh, we agreed to take the barn and we took a year or two to get the funding together to disassemble and then reassemble. And then someplace along there, when I think shortly before we were ready to reassemble, we found this article in uh, a Pennsylvania historical magazine that talked about the historical Pennsylvania German barn. And it Mm. talked about the main features, which are a threshing floor, where they would have big, uh, wide boats that had uh, underlayment or connections so that they would drop the wheat or the oats that were being threshed on that floor. This was before threshing machines were in the community. So they would just bring oxen or horses to walk on the oats or the wheat on this floor, and the weight of their feet would separate the wheat from its husk, and then they would scoop that up into baskets and uh, throw the grain up in the air so the wind would carry away the chaff and the husk and just the grain would fall back. Well, that was a very laborious project process. And so when the, the threshing machine came along, it was quickly adopted. And um, mm. to have our barn with the original threshing floor that they used to use with animals to separate the grain was really a win. So, mm. uh, yeah, that was uh, an important article that we learned from about the value of what we had just received as a donation. Hmm. So it's important to have a business plan, but it's also important to be able to go with the flow, right? Exactly. Um, we hope with the museum, uh, we want to start the construction of the museum next year. And with that, we then will hire full-time staff and be open six days a week. Now oh the board is volunteering one day a week on Saturday, basically, to have the grounds open and give tours and so on getting a lot of response. Uh, Saturday, there were probably eight different states represented with the oh, visitors that came. Um, great. So we're looking forward to the next step. I had no idea that you were going to be able to do that, to be open six days a week and hire staff. That's, that is That just gives me goosebumps, Wilmer. I'm so happy. Well, uh We had, you know, the Illinois Amish Interpretive Center in downtown Arcola for about uh, 15 years. And then we were open six days a week and and had paid staff and generally were able to uh, generate enough revenue to support it. It took some donations uh, Mm -hmm. over the years, but uh, we think with this facility, it will have so much more to offer than we did in downtown Arcola. And uh, we'll have a much broader number of visitors that pay the admission fee and help support the facility. 
Man, so much to see and touch and look at and 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 just it's when you walk through those homes you 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 really feel transported back in time. It's no different than walking through the uh, it's I shouldn't say it's no different, but when you walk through Lincoln Log Cabin, you walk through these places and there's so much authenticity to them that you really feel like you're you are transported back and I know that's part of the purpose of of this one of the uh, things we're delighted with this time that we haven't had before is uh, several rows of broom corn, which are used to make brooms. And so uh, we will demonstrate how they would harvest that corn in the field. And then uh, after it is sufficiently dried, take it from the field in and run the brooms, the, the broom corn tassels, basically, on the top of the plant through a... Uh, separator that separates the, the the straw from the seeds and then the straw or the corn uh, tassels are bound into a broom and uh, hmm. you'll be able to see that whole process from harvesting in the field all the way through to ending up with a broom you can take home that night oh wow there's just so much uh, so much to offer and I I encourage people from far and wide to come and experience this because there's just no place else like it. There's no place no place where you're going to find two restored, authentic, genuine Amish homes from the 1800s. And there's no place where you can uh, just have that up close and personal feeling and to get to know people, meet people who who are descendants from people who lived in those homes. It's a wonderful opportunity. It's a wonderful, you know, I, we tend to think of cultural opportunities in the big cities, but they're definitely on the Illinois prairie as well, aren't they, Wilmer? It's remarkable how many students from the University of Illinois come down. And these are students from all around the world, but they're mm -hmm. very curious about the Amish culture and uh, the historical teaching, you know, that's there in terms of how they made a living, and uh, so on. So, um, yeah, it's it's nice to see this truly cross-cultural uh, interchange between, say, students from China or uh, Indonesia interacting with uh, the Amish tour guides that we have on Saturday. Hmm. I think any opportunity to see, and you you travel extensively, so you have the opportunity to see, to immerse yourself in other cultures um, international cultures, which many people don't do. I've been overseas a couple times myself, but not nearly as much as you have. But there, is, there are still other cultural opportunities just in our own backyard. And that's what I want people to understand. There are things to see and learn here um, that you can find that, you know, people may be very curious about, but just not they don't have, I worked in public, I've worked in retail most of my life, so I would see Amish people in and out, and I grew up in an area pretty close to where, you know, where, you know, where we all live, you and I all live here, but um, people who didn't have that opportunity, they're just kind of see the Amish as an oddity, and uh, uh, they're not, they're people just like we are, with a little bit of a different belief system, but I admire their, their strength so much to be able to do what they do. Well, it is remarkable, you know, they uh, they turn themselves in this world, but not of this world. And um, they have demonstrated that you can live by completely different cultural values and uh, 
survive and prosper and be content and happy. And so I have people that say, well, uh, don't they get really impatient with having to travel with the horse and buggies when their neighbors are jumping in a car and can be where they want to be <laughs> in 20 minutes? And I say, no, there is no sense of jealousy or discontent. They feel sorry for the world, as they call anybody that's not Amish, sure. for all of the problems that they incur with, uh, you know, alcoholism, drugs, you know, broken homes, all of the modernity's uh, burdens. And that's not to say they have a perfect culture. They have failures in their marriages, but just not nearly as many divorces. In fact, no divorces, but they may separate a couple if they simply are harmful to each other. But uh, no, there is no sense on their part that they are leaving lives of deprivation and loss. Uh, they feel they're leading lives of fulfillment and happiness. I know one told me years ago when I mentioned uh, the difference between riding in a in a, a car and a horse and buggy, and they said, you go faster, but we see more. And I feel like, you know, when I slow down in these last few years and appreciate what I see around me and take the pictures that I do, uh, I've, I feel in some sense that that has helped me slow down and see the beauty that's around me and, and to, to see a sunrise, you know, when they, when I go take a picture of a sunrise, but they're, they're riding past it so slowly in the sound of the horse's hooves. And it's just, it's just nothing like it. Well, it's interesting. You know, we have people that say, well, why does it make sense for them to uh, hire somebody with an automobile to take them to some distance away, like Champagne to a medical office but they can't just own their own car. So if if it's not wrong for them to ride in someone else's car, why can't they have their own car? And mm. My answer is, well, because they just recognize that's a slippery slope. And once you get uh, that degree of mobility, then your emphasis on staying within the community, visiting with family and neighbors and so on is diminished. And they see themselves uh, that would be a route to assimilation into the general culture. And that's what they don't want. And so sure. uh, there's no moral wrong against riding in someone else's car. It's just mm-hmm. they only do it when it's necessary. Absolutely mm-hmm. necessary. Well, Wilmer, would you like to, I know we were, I mentioned that you've traveled so much. I don't know how much of this, we don't have a whole lot of time, but I know you're involved in Ukraine. You just came back from uh, Africa. Now you're in Romania these are all agricultural-related trips, if I could be so nosy as to ask that. I know you said you're in your, your hotel. You have hotels that you own. I don't know how many you have, but you have hotels. Um, is this a these, – uh, these aren't pleasure cruises, I'm sure, pleasure trips. They're all business trips, and you, they're agricultural-related? Uh, generally, I mean, our – kind of venturing into businesses far from our shores, started with exporting secondhand farm equipment from central Illinois to Ukraine, where they really needed better equipment than what the communist system had produced. And our equipment that was 10 and 15 years old, they said, was still more reliable than their new equipment coming out of the factory. And mm-hmm. so uh, they, we were greeted very warmly and had quite a nice business uh, exporting equipment to uh, Ukraine and Russia. And then through that, college friends found out that I was 
doing that, and they wanted to get me involved in a humanitarian project in Romania called uh, Veritas Romania, which was targeted at uh, the gypsy families and culture, uh, particularly gypsy children who weren't getting sent to school regularly, or if they did go, were ostracized because of their uh, culture and the way they were uh, not fully assimilated in a Romanian uh, lifestyle, have their own language, and so on. So uh, I said, sure, I'll come see what you're doing with the gypsy children. And I want to highlight that there is an emphasis now on not using a pejorative term for any ethnic group. And for a long time, it was considered that gypsy was a pejorative term, and you should call them Roma people. Hmm. But when I got to Romania, the Romanian citizens said, uh, they have always called themselves gypsies. That's their title for themselves going back to 900 AD when hmm. they came from India into uh, Eastern Europe and written references to them are as gypsies. So that's what they want to be called. And hmm. the Roma term is just one that has been invented kind of in the last couple of hundred years. And so, uh, you know, I'm not using that term pejoratively. I'm using it the way the gypsy culture would want it, but uh, it's still nomadic in the sense that they do not like being involved in regular nine-to-five jobs in factories. They prefer making money by, A, going into the forest and making um, firewood or um, picking uh, nuts and things from trees and bringing them and selling them door-to-door. Uh, or they have crafts also. Broom making is a craft that they have. Uh, metalworking, beautiful copper kitchen utensils that uh, hmm. become a way of life for them. Uh, but it's not a very settled way of life. You still find wagons, horse-drawn wagons, going down the road with the entire family living in the wagon with no oh my gosh. toilet facilities, just living beside the road. Uh, <sighs> And they might, you know, settle down for the winter someplace in a, a house, but they love to be out traveling, and that's mm. part of their culture. So Veritas Romania that I'm involved with uh, has tutoring and special classes for the kids to try to get their education level up to the rest of the Romanian people's uh, standards. So it's very meaningful. I enjoy that a lot. We started a small construction company to give jobs to the Roma people who wanted to work in a more uh, settled life, and we've had real success stories. Some of them made enough money they could, you know, build a new home for their family with running water and toilet facilities. And so that then led to buying a historic building and restoring it and also remodeling it into a boutique hotel. So that's how I happen to be sitting here tonight. Uh, it's a little 33-room hotel, not a big property, but it's fun. Um, TripAdvisor called it the number one hotel in our market and number four in the country. Uh, oh it's hotel Central Park, if you want to Google it. Uh, so it's it's a pleasure to be here and enjoy its success. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. I had no idea you were involved in that kind of – I knew you did a lot of humanitarian work, but that is uh, a fascinating Fascinating thing, Wilmer. You are just, you never cease to amaze me. You're you're going in so many directions, and I cannot, I, I want to, I'm 
afraid I'm gonna have to draw this to a close. Do you have any? Do you have any other any websites you want to share or to uh, to this place or to uh, Illinois Amish Heritage Center or? Uh, yeah, and and Wendy, I will share with the public that I've admired your work for a long time. You have a unique gift of capturing visual images that are very striking. So I have to get you and your husband here to get some of these beautiful images. It's a rolling terrain with these little villages scattered across the terrain and uh, then little small fields around the villages that, you know, the farmers go out from the village and farm. And uh, it's just visually rich. So we got to get you over here to do some of your artwork here. Uh, I'm on board. But yeah, you can look up. Uh, we've we've got to make a plan to have you do that. So the websites that will direct you to some of what we're doing is one is called uh, www Hotel Central Park, and it has a lot of images of this historic building from 1888 that we've restored. But it also has images of the surrounding community and things to see and do here. Uh, mm. So if you look at that site, you'll also see the hotel and the, the interesting environment. This town was established in 1200 AD by Germans from the western part of Germany who hitched their oxen and wagon or horses and wagon, came all the way east across to Europe and started settlements here. There were seven German cities that basically the, the uh, Hungarian kings uh, granted land to them for kind of quasi self-rule independent uh, states and uh, that became known as Transylvania with you know this German uh, accents that you hear Dracula and so on uh, the TV shows repli uh, replicating mm -hmm. uh, but their architecture is very interesting uh, this city has one of the oldest intact medieval city walls and city centers with watchtowers all along the wall. Uh, uh, almost every year there is some filmmaker that will come here and use it as a set to produce a movie because it's all built. They don't have to build it in Hollywood. Uh, oh, no. Cold Mountain was a commercial movie that was filmed in this area. So... Um, yeah, I would invite everyone to come visit. And Veritas Romania is also a website, just www.veritas, is V-E-R-I-T-A-S, Romania. And you can see the kind of activities they're doing with the children and the fun that they're having with that. Hmm. Well, those are two websites that kind of bring you up to speed here. Hmm. And uh, Illinois Amish Heritage Center? And, uh, yes, we want to reference www.illinoisamish.org uh, it also has a Facebook page and if you put Illinois Amish Heritage Center and search it'll take you to our Facebook page where we post a lot of updates on what's happening in terms of the center and future events like the Harvest to Home coming up October 6th and 7th uh, those are good sites to go to to learn what we're doing with the uh, Heritage Center well, you do important work all the way around the world, Wilbur, and I, I can't thank you enough for, I know you said you, uh, you said what you had for dinner tonight, and you had a wonderful wine, and I'm afraid we've hurried you through a wonderful meal, 
but I, I cannot thank you enough for being here with us. I always enjoy visiting with you, Wendy. You always have good questions. Well, you always have good answers. So I think that's going to bring us to a close today. Again, my name is Wendy Fleming Dexter. I'm your host for life on the Illinois Prairie. Thanks again, Wilmer, for joining us. And if you enjoy this podcast, please like and share and invite your friends to enjoy it too. And um, be kind. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Life on the Illinois Prairie, the undercurrents of our American life. If you haven't yet, go ahead and subscribe to Life on the Illinois Prairie wherever you get your podcast. Stay tuned for more stories, interviews, and updates. I'm your host, Wendy Fleming Dexter. Until next time. Produced by Audavita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.